expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery... Peace. And welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. We are here on March 26, 2015, looking at a series of stories that just continue to come out day after day after day. We had another great program last night on New Abolitionist Radio, our weekly program here on the Black Talk Radio Network, where we break down the news and views as best we can in a two to two and a half hour uh, format once a week. But the Abolitionist Daily is here because there's so much going on in America and so much having to do with slavery and uh, ruining our economy with stealing jobs and sending them into into prisons and forcing people to labor for 20 cents an hour and this type of thing with the torture the uh, deaths in custody, uh, just the whole scenario of all things, you know, all things related to what we discuss on this program, all basically starting from the 13th Amendment, which allows for this to occur since it did not actually abolish slavery. It actually made slavery a state-sanctioned institution by saying that slavery and involuntary servitude is... um, abolished in this country except when individuals can be convicted of uh, committing crimes so we talk about here how the legislation continues to pile up day in day out which classifies behavior and criminalizes culture um, calling more and more things crimes and catching more and more people um, taking minor offenses and making them felonious and committing more individuals to prison sentences and just the whole ridiculous scheme. It's a big scheme, a big continuing cons- uh, criminal conspiracy, which is called America. And while we still have, uh, have daylight, we still have, uh, have it to be called today. And while we still have um, the freedoms allowed to at least speak out against it and come together to find out solutions and work to dismantle it for the sake of our children, for the sake of our own older years, that's what we do here is we break it down, we discuss it, we figure it out. We're, we're attempting to come with answers, solutions, alternatives, meet with experts, discuss with professionals, with people who have uh, career investments in their education, all, all the way through their, their jobs and what they do for a living that they will be known to live and have died for when they passed away, their whole life focused on these matters. And that's who we stay in contact with. And we bring the information to you day after day, Monday through Friday. We, we do our best to present information 
that will not only enrage you and upset you and agitate you and make you get active because these things are primarily happening because folks aren't paying attention from what I see and from reporting on it day in day out now for a couple of years what I see is this stuff just mainly happens because people aren't paying attention if they had to tell you what they were doing you would of course tell them hell no you can't do that if you had a an, uh, a view into what was going on of course you would say hell no you would vote against you would you would go against you would recall people you would you would you know make your moves to to veto their decisions to move them out of positions of power and authority to make these kind of decisions you would make it known you would be standing on the street corners protesting it you would be calling them out you would be calling their offices you'll be emailing them you will be putting them on blast on a regular basis for being the criminals that they are but the simple fact of the matter is is that we live in a nation of amusement and entertainment it's bread and circuses on a constant basis people are fat and happy and even when they're broke they're still fat and they're still finding a way to get happy off of the cheapest forms of entertainment and delusion and stupidity we have individuals going after uh, individual little places where they feel like they've grown in their lives by by attaining a degree or getting a little bit better job or, or finding a relationship or these little trivial things that people are doing that really the overall of our society is it's crumbling and falling apart so we report on it here and we hope to make connections we hope to wake up abolitionists and activists and workers of struggle people that want to be a part of the solution people who feel they owe that much to their children and their future generations I uh, am a descendant of slaves that were here in America and I feel that it is a fact that none of them lived and died the way that they lived and died so that I could be happy to assimilate into the same system that kidnapped and killed them that doesn't even make any sense there's no nothing even remotely respectable about such a thing that they kidnapped and brought my ancestors here strictly for the purpose of working for free to drive them into the ground and to use them for sexual pleasures and to use them for heavy labors and to degrade them and demean them and to drive out from them any sense of who they were take from them any names that they ever had take their culture their faiths do their best to destroy their health mentally spiritually emotionally and physically and obviously financially and I used to let all of that pain of all those generations that came before me because it wasn't just one great 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 grandpa and one great 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 grandmother there was several had to be from anywhere around the late mid to late 1500s whoever was originally taken 1600s 1700s 1800s 1900s I mean you're talking about dozens of people who com who contributed to the DNA profile that's speaking to you right now and all of them to be subjected to even if not direct slavery to white supremacist imperialism white supremacist terrorism and aggressions to be forced to live in a system that is 
the way this system is, destroying the planet, destabilizing indigenous civilizations, expanding unsustainable financial systems and, and systems that are raping the planet of resources strictly for financial gains. I mean, this is ridiculous, some of the things that go on on this planet under this white supremacist re regime. And it's a worldwide thing. So I have to honor those people, that the ones that weren't assimilationists, the ones that weren't puppets and happy to, to jump right on in with the, with the machine. People existed on this planet for uncountable years we still find fossils and evidence of people living here for so far beyond what we can even calculate. We don't even really know for sure. And I just think it's totally ridiculous for us to live in a society like what we're living in, that's doing what it's doing to people, innocent people in most cases, and we just sit idly by and imagine that it's not going to destroy us all. So that's why I'm here, and I pick slavery in particular because slavery is at the heart of really all of these systems if you can't subjugate a certain person to make them take nothing while you take everything then you can't build capitalism if you don't have capitalism you don't have America if you don't have America you don't have the foreign policy that we send out all over the planet and all the ways that nations work together to do what America does so it really all boils down to slavery the way we treat our mentally ill the way we treat our homeless the way we treat the poor, the way we raise up our children and prepare them to be a part of the police state, incarceration nation, the way we cannibalize our jobs and put them inside of prisons, the way we allow people to work for lobbying firms that take money from corporations and give it directly to politicians and influence legislation and policy on a municipal level, state levels, federal levels. This is all madness, and it, it really boils down to slavery. So that's why I'm here, and that's what I talk about on this program every day. So hopefully you are here to find out or to add to. I mean, by all means, if you have an opinion or a thought about this, a question, you have an expertise, if you feel there's something that I'm missing or something that we don't talk about on this program that you think is a part of it, then by all means, you're always welcome to, to, to share in this. The uh, phone number of this uh, program is 712 Seven seven five seven zero three five. The access code is three six seven five two six pound. You hit star six and then one, and you will be on the air here with me. So today we're going to talk about. We didn't get to it um, on the podcast yesterday. It was my intention to just break out a, a, a bunch of these studies because I, I read these studies all the time. I mean, it's on the news clips that I get a lot of the stuff we talk about on the program. But really just from my overall understanding of the problem and the situations that we're facing, the size and scope of it, uh, more of the who are the who are the players directly involved beyond the news headlines, um, just understanding the structure of the system um, from a, more of an industrial size type, type of a, a perspective. To see it for what it is, I rely on on uh, experts in the field who work with organizations to compile reports and studies that, you know, sometimes take three, four, or five years of compiling information and then coming up with what they found from the results of the stats and the, and the testimonies and 
you know, it, it, uh, establishing what the trends are and where we're headed, this type of thing. So I found myself reading from uh, four different reports here recently, and it's just it's just a lot. I mean, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to be finished with a lot of this. So I just felt like sharing some of the things I found so far um, with you all. Because as I'm reading it and I'm compiling information to share with you, then of course, you know, as much as you, you pick up, I mean, it, it easily, you know, goes away from you too because there's just always new news coming out. But a couple of reports from, uh, Human Rights Watch, definitely, that I want to share with you. One talking about the, uh, prosecutors forcing defendants to, to take guilty pleas. And we've discussed that. You know, uh, not as in depth, but we've definitely talked about it and hinted around it and, and mentioned it in, in relation to several cases. Um, and, and the overall trend in America being that, you know, it's well over 90% of people take, um, plea deals as opposed to going to actual trials. And see that you know, you're getting into constitutional matters now. Again, when the Constitution guarantees your right to this, to having a trial, to be heard out, your case being heard out by a jury of your peers, but when, Prosecutors use, I mean, there really are criminally heuristic and criminally intimidating tactics to basically force people to take pleas. All they're doing is add to their conviction roles. There should be some lessened value to a plea deal than just saying it's a conviction and making the person look like they scored all these convictions against, you know, dangerous criminals and they crime. There should, should be one, one, point score you can get as a prosecutor for a trial that you won, and then a whole separate type of a point, you know, maybe a, a quarter of a point, uh, an eighth of a point, because it's really, it has nothing to do with uh, prosecutorial skill, it has nothing to do with actually finding evidence, with doing any type of investigation, it shows no evidence of you working with others in law enforcement to come to these conclusions of investigation that, you know, what you say is, is, it, has, it shows none of those things, it shows that you are a bully. And that you can take persons that don't even know what they're being charged with in a lot of cases. Whenever we see these exonerations, it's just the same story over and over again. The cops just snatch some person, throw them in the holding cell, put them in interrogation, beat them, coerce them, whatever they got to do, get them to confess, get them to sign something, whatever. And the prosecutor takes it even if they know it's thin. And then they go through a bunch of stuff against the wall at the person and tell them, look, if you don't take this deal... You don't want to go to trial facing all this because they're going to find you guilty of something. So even if they find you guilty of one thing I'm throwing at you right now, that's at least 15 years you've got to do. So why don't you just take this deal for five and we could done. And people have jobs and people have lives and have families and bills and obligations and they're sitting in jail and they just want to get it over with. They've been tortured enough. The trauma of being jailed and you haven't even done anything or whatever they're saying you did is not what you did or whatever the situation is. Nobody is just sitting there loving it and able to withstand it. It's set up so people will break and they break and they take the deal. So we're going to look at a report from Human Rights Watch that's talking about um, prosecutors and forcing drug defendants to uh, to take these pleas. Um Looking at the human rights aspects, there's some reports that have been put out also that, that I'll introduce you all to. Um, just talking about our, our standing in this nation with, you know, facing, facing our human rights violations. Um, it's just always good to have, have stats, you know, to back up what you're, 
what you're alleging. So we do make a lot of allegations here. And as you know, is my feeling that we can always back up whatever we whatever we say that you know is going on with with facts and stats. Another one that uh, I'm going to be drawing some information from is uh, a report called "The Growth of Incarceration in the United States: Exploring Causes and Consequences." And, and um, this one was put together by a Committee on Law and Justice, um, which is a division of Behavioral and Social Sciences and Education at the National Research Council. And this is a big old thick report that another one, like I said, that, that took you know over four years for them to put this information together. So really, these are the foundations, you know, of of policy in this country. And these people that put these things together are, you know, the the leaders in their fields. I mean, they, they, we don't have people in the country that are more educated and more willing to con contribute to studies and and put together evidence of what kind of state we are truly living in. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of talking points on competing cable news networks. It's not a, a right versus left type of issue. You have the raw facts and the raw information, and you have people who are professors and doctors and, and attorneys and people that study this type of thing. That's all their aspiration is in life. It's it's like American Idol. Everybody there wants to be a singer. You know, when you come to these type of matters, they don't pick you and you don't end up being a patient to be part of some groundbreaking work to study what's going on in our society, hopefully to make it for the better. So I really want to stress, you know, how important it is to to draw from this type of information and realize who is telling us what we're taking as the truth versus just uh, listening to, you know, cable news in the evening. And, you know, even if you listen to NPR in the morning on the way to work or something and you just take these marking our time on this planet. See, the people that live during that marks their time. So I'm, you know, I'm not a white person. I, I, I don't know how to feel empathetic towards uh you know you know came here on the on the on the mayflower and lived through the entire history of slavery here in america and never did anything about it i don't know how to feel for that i only know how to feel from the other side from my ancestors that were brought here on the good ship jesus so you know whatever slave ships and were raised up through the generations here to become the the, the domestic slave trade that's all I really know how to understand. And I, I know that there were some that were fighting and were, were revolting and escaping and doing whatever they could to get out of that situation. And that's who I identify with. That's who I'm connected to. I don't know how other people that lived here. I don't know how the American Indians that were here also being persecuted and, and genocided out of here. I don't know what, you know, some of their stances were civilized tribes, as they called them, because they entered into contracts and wanted to assimilate into white supremacy. They actually took, you know, Africans as slaves also and refused to give them uh, citizenship in the nations after, you know, they had to be federally forced to allow blacks out of slavery in, in late um, uh, 1866, almost 1877, after, you know, a couple of years after Emancipation Proclamation was passed. They didn't want to give up their slaves. So I don't know how to feel for other people's perspective. I know how to feel for mine, and that is one that is enslaved. As a slave, I'm most interested in revolution. It's, you know, George Jackson quote. I know where I stand. I know where I'm coming from. I know what my children are facing. 
with educations and great careers and all of that other hubbub, yeah, sure, whatever, any one of them has got the same white knuckles gripped around the steering wheel when they see those police lights go in the, in the rearview mirror because the police's main job is to enforce the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment was created for Africans. They didn't have to stop slavery for anybody else. They didn't have to put that law, put that in the law for any other race of people. The 13th Amendment was not written for the Irish. The 13th Amendment was not written for the, the Samoans. It was not written for the Italians. It was written for the Africans in America who were slaves. And the police's primary job is to continue to enforce that 13th Amendment, which is to make convicts out of Africans so they can be returned to slavery. So with that understanding, I have a job to do for my children and for your children and for our future generations so this can end. So we'll be talking about those reports today and we'll also be looking at some new information coming out of Washington, D.C., where we've been telling you about um, how Corizon tried to sneak in and get a last-minute contract with the outgoing uh, D.C. mayor. And the new mayor that came in tried to just slide it on through there, but there was a couple of city council members that spoke up and said, wait a minute, this isn't cool. I mean, we're looking at giving these people nearly $70 million, and they've got nearly 700 lawsuits out against them. Maybe we need to look at this again. And like I said at the time, maybe for all I know, maybe they uh, they just, you know, weren't divvying up the bread like, you know, people wanted to, to get a piece. Maybe they, you know, maybe they just thought it was a, a matter of uh, they didn't get the cut they expected. So they felt like blowing a whistle on the whole thing. You know, sometimes people feel like I'm going to stop the whole operation if I don't get what I want. Maybe that's why they did it. Or maybe there's somebody on the council that actually has a, a soul intact and felt like, you know what, this is crazy and I'm not going for it on my watch and so they stood up. Maybe that's what happened. I hope that's what happened. But anyway, they're back in the news because they're coming out now, they're finding out uh, who's pretty much behind pushing this. An individual who was a lobbyist for Corrections Corporation of America. He's not listed as a lobbyist for Corizon, but I mean, clearly if his, uh, if if he's listed as a as a lobbyist for CCA, then you know what interest he works in, and he's pushing the mayor and pushing around money, and you know he's involved in trying to get that contract. So we're going to revisit that story and just uh, give you an update, as I try to do on this program, keep you updated on things that we talk about because these are ongoing criminal conspiracies, and in contrast to what's going on in D.C. with Corazon trying to get that contract. Um, we're going to talk about Minnesota who now Corizon has to pay up on a wrongful death settlement that came after a, a, a man was allowed to die in his cell in a Minnesota prison uh, in 2011 Leno Lakes Correctional Facility guy had blood clots and begged for his life another one of these cases where a person is literally begging for their life Begging and pleading, please, please, just get me some kind of medical coverage. Get me somebody to help me. The man begged and pleaded for his life for several days. He told him he felt like his lungs had collapsed. 
They didn't do anything about it. They let him die. Soul Horizon and the uh, Department of Corrections are now paying out in a multi-million dollar suit. So we'll just look at those two things contrasting uh, against one another. And this is America. Only in America, as they say. Uh, we're going to talk about Arizona. They just had a bill that flew right on through the, the state legislature. I didn't hear anything on the news about it or hear any kind of backlash or really know if people knew. I, I, it's news to me. I don't live in Arizona, but I try to stay pretty well tied into what's going on in, in these matters, and I heard nothing about it. They've got a new law that all they need now is the is the governor to sign off on it, which makes it illegal for uh, to uh, have the names disclosed of police officers that kill citizens plain and simple forbids any state agency from releasing the name of police officers who shoot a civilian when that civilian when that shooting rather uh, results in death or serious physical injury so that's pretty pretty ridiculous considering that there's already a uh, law in place that makes it um makes it illegal to uh, or uh, which allows rather for police to withhold sensitive information like the home addresses and of uh, police officers when they've been involved in shootings or otherwise anyway so it's not like people just know where these people live so I don't know who came up with this law saying that they're trying to protect uh, protect cops that kill people but whatever it passed through and um now they got to wait on uh, governor Ducey to sign it if he signs it then there you go you got a state that protects cops that kill people I don't know if in this climate and the world we're living in right now, if that's the, the best thing. If we have time, I want to slip in a story out of St. Louis County also where cops said a guy uh, killed himself. Because, you know, we talked about several of these on New Abolitionist Radio. Um, just in the last year, there was three cases of people that supposedly killed themselves while in police custody, handcuffed behind their backs, shot themselves in the chest and in the front of their foreheads and the temples and all this type of thing. And there's no real public backlash, no real outcry, nothing really came of any of it, even though it's obviously impossible and ridiculous. It's just they sold the story, and I guess the public bought it. Well, they've got one now that, that comes out uh, of a man, uh, Abayomi Afolabi, who was 44. He died uh, in 2013 in his driveway um, in Florissant, Missouri police claimed that they had been there on a domestic disturbance call. Um, said when they got there it was a self-inflicted wound but now further investigation has come out two years later that says that cops shot this guy so if we get a chance to talk about that we will but that's um, that's the program as far as the news and then our unexplainable black death profile is a, a young brother may he rest in peace uh, Stephen Washington he's a 27 year old autistic man that was walking down a, a, an LA street through Koreatown somewhere around midnight um, police rolled up slowly behind him followed him and uh, when they stopped and called out to him he's autistic so I don't know that he even really knew how to react or you know, I don't know for sure what his mental state was at that point but he simply turned around and one of the cops shot him right in the head the other one shot at him but missed him, but they both were charged in, in his death. And uh, they got off, of course. They, they didn't face any criminal consequences for murdering an, an, un, an unarmed guy that just simply turned around. 
They use the standard freaking story of how he reached for his waistband. I mean, come on, people. I never seen so many damn cowboys in my life. I've been around a little while. I've been in a lot of states, a lot of cities, a lot of places, met a lot of people. I have never met one single solitary person that carries a gun and just always reaching for it. And anytime somebody says something to them, they want to pull it out. And I sure as hell never met anybody that ever considered pulling out a gun to face the police. And if they did pull out a gun to face the police, there would be more cops getting shot. But the bottom line is we keep seeing citizens getting blown away who've never even had weapons. But the cops were worried because they reached toward their waist. So uh, Stephen Washington is our unexplainable black death profile and will tell you about a new development where the cops actually sued and they won multi-million dollar settlements after uh, after all of this. So this is a, a shocking twist. So those are the stories for the day. We're going to take our first break and uh, kind of reboot, get, get into the facts here when we come back. Uh, you're listening to Abolitionist Daily. We'll be right back. are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network. want to remind you that we are in the middle of the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser. Well, we're simply asking you to help the Black Talk Media Project and Black Talk Radio Network continue media operations and improve the platforms. We have a $60,000 fundraising goal, which will uh, do all we need to have done to, to help all these programs grow and expand and increase our quality and, and consistency, secure our operations for the benefit of our society to actually create a black community for one, to keep us fighting in the in the forefront of the propaganda wars, which, if you don't realize, television, radio, books, magazines, music, food, all of this is propaganda being used against you right now. If you took away all of these things from your life and you were allowed to just be who you are, you wouldn't take any of this crap. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, you know, try to keep it clean, but you, you wouldn't stand for any of this. But it's the numbing and the dumbing down and the efforts that they, that they use to make you docile and to get you to just chill out, man. Just go with the flow, man. Don't be, don't be, you know, a rebel. Don't say anything. They appease you and please you with the music. You ever seen that uh, old Bugs Bunny cartoon where the, I think it's a Tasmanian devil and they play the music and it calms him down or whatever. He's going crazy and then he plays the music and he chills out. I mean, there's some truth to that. The music back in the, uh, in the struggle days, you know, from civil rights, the return of the brothers that uh, came back from Vietnam, things became more of a love movement. But right there again in the eighties, it's where hip hop came from. The struggle music. It came back out hard. And the original rap artists and, and groups. I mean, you hear on, on new on uh, new abolitionist radio, that's our theme music is public enemy. I mean, you hear it played all the time here. 
several of the of the the message music groups and the music at one point was causing the people to rebel. Ice Cube used to be one of mine when I was, you know, in high school still. All of his first several albums were all going against the grain, reporting on the news of the streets. Once he got out of NWA, he was, he was a solo artist. All of his first two or three records were just straight up telling you what was going on and expressing his rage at what was happening in the streets. And it caused me to be aware. X Clan. Another one I used to listen to and learn about what was going on. I mean, this is how it used to be, but the music changed, and now you got a whole lot of effeminate people leading the movement, a whole lot of people that aren't known for bravado and chest out and, and masculinity. I mean, I'm not going to call out anything. God knows I don't want to have this movement associated with homophobia. Please don't let anybody take what I'm saying the wrong way. But there's just no way to deny that Chuck D is not Drake. There's just no way around that. And that's what I'm talking about. We've got a lot of these women that are rappers now, this Iggy or whatever, and uh, Nikki. And, I mean, these are all propaganda bombs being dropped on you and your children. We saw a million man march back in the 90s when rap was still talking about revolution. I mean, for better or for worse, we saw the L.A. riots during those years. And the music was talking about something. And the music doesn't talk about that now. The TV doesn't show those kind of shows now. They don't show those type of images now. Those books aren't popularized now. Magazines are, are, are all basically, you know, two or three companies that put out all of them. And it's all soft and fluff and porn and individualist concerns and nothing for the for the masses. So this is a propaganda war, people, is all I'm saying. And the Black Talk Radio Network is rooted in and unmovable in this fight to represent the black community, the struggle for freedom, for liberation, for black autonomy, always reminding us of the need to stress accountability giving you solutions outside the box thinking better and better ideas steadily evolving ourselves and learning how to respond and how to plan ahead to attack this system so these are all things you're just not going to get anywhere else there's no way around it there's, I don't even have to keep talking about it you already know if you're listening to this you're not going to get this anywhere else and if you can please tell me like Scotty Reese said last night on New Abolitionist Radio, if you think you can do better or if you think what we're doing is not solutions-oriented enough or if you think we're just doing this or that and it doesn't meet what you... Well, then where else are you going to get it? And if you've got someplace else you can get what we're talking about, then please show us because I can tell you, it's not fun. It affects your mind. It affects your dreams. It affects your subconscious to constantly be letting this evil into your eyes to read and see this stuff and know what's going on yeah I want to turn my face from it too but then I got nothing to say when my child God forbid ends up caught up in the system when I end up caught up in the system when my loved ones when I look and I see we go from 2.3 million to 5 million and nobody still cares we went from 200,000 to 2.3 million incarcerated and people are acting like it's oh well I guess people just shouldn't commit crime 
So when we go from 2.3 million to 5 million, there was one statistic we read last year on New Abolitionist Radio that said if, if the rate things are going by something like 2020, I think it was, there'll be 15 million people incarcerated. So if you know somebody else or some other rev, uh, uh, network or some other uh, resource that's trying to report on this and you'd rather support that and you, you think we just don't know we're not getting it or we're not doing a good enough job or whatever reason that you don't want to support the Black Talk Radio Network, please let us know. But as far as any of us can see, this is it. This is where it's at. This is the leading black media outlet that is reporting on the issues. So please support Click on uh, blacktalkradionetwork.com. It's a simple donate tab on the on the landing page, blacktalkmediaproject.org. Same thing, simple landing page. You can click on and uh, see where you can donate. Make a pledge, make a donation, a dollar a month, $10 a month, $100 a month. I don't know what you got in your pocket, but give something because there's tens of thousands of you who listen to this and gain from this, and we need all of you to give at least a little something or maybe a few of you give a big old something. But we're not going to be able to keep it going if you if you don't contribute. So please uh, contribute and share the information so others will be in, inspired to contribute as well. Now, with all of that said, back to the news. I want to, because this will be a fairly quick story, I want to leave this Arizona legislature thing. And again, the stories that we talk about on here, about this is the Abolitionist Daily, the stories we talk about here that have to do with police violence and police misconduct, police criminality, this type of thing, that's all because the police were originally slave catchers. So clearly, when you're talking about slaves, and you know the slaves were handled by and caught by and chased by and terrorized by slave catchers, then that relationship never really changed. When we talk about how slavery never ended, then that relationship never changed. It's the same relationship that existed then that, that exists still to this day. So uh, if you hear you know, us talking about whether it's on this program or on New Abolitionist Radio or you see on the pages uh, through our social media, you see us reporting pretty regularly on police misconduct or, or things pertaining to, to law enforcement. That's the reason why, because it all starts with the police. People are not going to prison through any other means but by involvement with law enforcement do we agree there's there's just no way you're not you can't even go volunteer yourself you could murder someone right now god forbid you could reach out and murder somebody you could go rob a bank right now you could set something on fire right now and then turn around and go walk to the prison and surrender yourself and they're going to call the police to come and arrest you and investigate your claims of your guilt so no matter how you slice it, you have to go through the police to go to prison. So with 2.3 million people in prisons, I think it's pretty relevant for us to regularly discuss the police and their involvement and, and their role that they play in this broken social machine that we're clanking around in, banging around in, getting abused and some destroyed by And to substantiate what I'm talking about, the origins of the Boston Police Department go back to 1631 with the formation of the first Night Watch. So this is literally the first police force that was in this nation. It's property-owning white men who served and protected the property of white citizens. 
Slavery was the business of the day, and white men were not bound to respect any rights of any black man. Africa was in the middle of colonization and the raping of its natural resources. This is all things that we pretty much should know or already know. And although slavery was abolished in Massachusetts in 1780, and the Massachusetts uh, Constitution declared that all men born free and equal, Boston was the anchor of the original 13 colonies, and it was the foundation upon which the nation was more or less being built. So when they started their night watch and slave patrols, then that's what started to, to, you know, proliferate out from there into other cities. Philadelphia was another one that got in early and established a, a, an early police force. But they were all based in slave catching. That's just the origins. There's that's 1631. That's where it started. By 1796, the watchmen had a badge, a rattle, and a six-foot pole called a hook and bill. The hook was to catch, and the round bill was used as a weapon to pummel. In 1838, the daytime police were established, and the Boston police forces then consisted of the day police and the night watch. In September 1850, the Fugitive Slave Law, or Fugitive Slave Act, was passed by the United States Congress as a part of a compromise with Southern slave masters and North free and Northern free interest. This act and compromise was a controversy of 1850 and served to heighten the northern fears of a slave power conspiracy similar to the fears of the 50s and 60s up until now. There's always some lasting fear of some black power messiah that's going to come and start some revolution. Some some domestic terrorist that's going to come and push, you know, white people into into open war and therefore there's a, always a rising police state. And that's what the slave patrols are rooted in. This idea that these slaves can't possibly just sit and take this. They must be planning to, to rise up and kill us. So we need to raise up our forces to defend ourselves against those people that we're terrorizing. America still does this today. Do you see a big old loop of the same old, same old thing in everything? We changed our laws in this country to protect against terrorism terrorism in response from people we expect in response from people that we are openly terrorizing we destabilize their government we destabilize their economy they attempt to get off the dollar Saddam Hussein was not invaded because he went over and invaded Kuwait the, the invasion of Kuwait as they called it happened some years after Saddam Hussein originally said he wanted to start requiring some other form of payment for his oil other than the dollar, which was worth nothing. At one point, he, he hinted at when the euro was established. At one point, he wanted to go on the euro and require that because it still had value to it. Same thing with Gaddafi. He wanted to get off the dollar standard. He was the head of the African Union. Several African presidents were in agreement with him. They wanted to require gold for oil and resources. And America wants to keep giving everybody these fake, phony fiat dollars. So they would rather kill you and bomb you and destroy your whole thing and just take it over than pay you in some way other than fake dollars. And in response to our foreign policy, we go ahead and take over entire governments. We go ahead and kill people. And we go ahead and create a police state in our own country to protect us, quote-unquote, from terrorist aggression. And this is rooted in as far back as the 1631 slave patrols. I'm just trying to tell you, 
it's, it was going back as far as that creating a patrol to protect you from people that you were kidnapping and forcing into slavery raping, beating, torturing, starving abusing in every way imaginable what happened in America in colonialized slavery in America is so far off the charts from any other type of indentured servitude or slavery that's ever been recorded in any other form of history if you have some other history and I'm talking about the Africans that enslaved on the Corsairs bring them into it too the Moors and the took in white people and made them slaves. talk about all of that if you want to but you're not going to find the inhumanity and the savagery and those people were able to work their way out of those positions and many of them assimilated into that culture as it existed and became powerful individuals themselves worked their way out of through indentured servitude into having property and owning land and, and lording over people themselves but the way that slaves Africans were treated in America necessitated a police force to protect white people from the people they were treating poorly and it kept on going and it keeps on going all the way through the civil rights movement and the dismantling of COINTELPRO and the dismantling of all the civil rights movements the Black Panthers and the Deacons of Defense and the Black Liberation Army and all these political prisoners that have lived and died for the last 40-50 years in prison and got murdered, Fred Hampton's and on and on and on and this is America still now so now we see telling you all of this to, to say now we see out of Arizona and we've heard it rumored in other states also I think in Missouri they were trying to pass something after Darren Wilson I've seen some other states that have been mentioned in trying to pass laws to to make it where they don't even tell you the names of the cops that kill these people but this is the thing this wouldn't even have to happen if cops would quit killing people so instead of saying, okay, we realize one every 28 hours is a little, it's a little bit much. That's just for the black people. We realize, you know, killing people every day is, is kind of crazy. And we realize that, yeah, being a cop is such a dangerous job because, uh, the number one killer of all of us is, uh, heart attacks. Um, then the number two killer is us, uh, falling off of a desk or falling off of a ladder or falling some kind of way into while doing our job. Uh, number three killer is uh, traffic accidents that we cause as we go flying, ripping and running around the city. Running into people and running into stuff. And somewhere way down the list, not even in the top ten, is um, us getting killed by the citizens. So we realized that um, in response to those those actual factual numbers... Because see, the thing about the police who they kill, we've talked about on this program, they don't have to report even though they've got a federal law that says they, they're supposed to, but they don't evidently have to report the 18,000-plus police agencies that don't even report half of them, don't even report how many people and who they kill year in, year out. On the flip side, the police do report how many of them get killed. So they're quick to tell you how many of them are abused and how many of them get killed in the line of duty and all this type of thing, but we don't know how many people that they kill. So in Arizona, this past Tuesday... The legislature passed a bill that would forbid any state agency from releasing the name of police officers who shoot a civilian when that shooting results in a death or serious physical injury. The act would bar law enforcement as well as government entities from releasing an officer's name for 60 days following the incident. If the officer has had a disciplinary record or is disciplined as a result of the shooting, his name may still not be released for the full 60 days. The act now heads to Governor Doug Ducey for a signature. 
Supporters of the bill claim it's designed to protect law enforcement from harassing, from harassment following a shooting. The Arizona uh, Police Association strongly supports the measure. Of course they do. In part because its members are afraid that protesters will march in front of their homes. They passed the law because they're cops and they're afraid that protesters are the people supporting people that they've killed are going to march in front of their homes. Is that happening in America? I didn't see where that's happening. Like I said, I study this every day, hours and hours all day, every day. I haven't seen. Please submit to me. Please tell me where it's happened. If you if you uh, um, are hearing this and, and you have uh, access to a phone, please call me at 712-775. 7035 access code 367526 pound hit star and then uh, star 6 and then 1 and come on the air and tell me about where police have been having their homes protested people have been marching in front of cops houses and protesting and, and endangering their families and making them feel bad about killing people please tell me because I missed it if you hear this on a future podcast please email me at newabolitionistradio at gmail.com I, I really just I'm being very Serious. I don't know about this phenomenon. I've never heard of this. I did not know that Americans were getting down like that. I, I, I can see now the need for the law enforcement community to to go ahead and push something like this because you know that's dangerous, man. We got an epidemic in America that I was completely unaware of. All these rabid protesters out here making these cops feel bad in front of their children, in front of their wives. And family and, and, and reporting on all these people they've killed. I, I was I was unaware. So that's what the Arizona Police Association is saying. The cop union, they're afraid protesters are going to march in front of the homes of officers who shoot unarmed citizens, civilians. Critics insist that the bill will only exacerbate public frustration, you think, with the police by decreasing uh, in transparency and accountability. They also note that Arizona law already allows police to withhold sensitive information like home address. Hmm. Okay. Well, if the law already uh, allows them to withhold the information, then I don't understand the, the police union's position. The bill easily passed both houses of Arizona's Republican-dominated legislature. So here we go again with the Dems versus Repubs. The two wings of the same dead ass bird. Here we go again with the with the uh, bipartisan support for the police state, the bipartisan support for the slave state, the bipartisan support for the corporate powers that be to run our country. Every case is a bipartisan agreement. You realize that there's no one party or the other that has I mean in recent memory anyway that has fought in tooth and nail to pass something that the other side didn't want that further incarcerated us that further enslaved us that put us further under the boot of the police state on our neck that stole more of our freedoms none of it while you're so worried about your party versus this party, don't you see the parties is getting down partying without you? While you're voting 
and have not had the man the first in ever in your life. People proud that they voted. I've been voting since I was 18. I've never missed an election. It's my civic duty. I'm honoring the ancestors. I'm an educated, church-going, righteous individual, and I'm going to use the power that God gave me to sound like a freaking idiot. If you took a demand to any person that was running for public office and declared, look, you are not getting this vote, unless you and me come to an agreement that you're going to represent my personal interest. And since I work with this community, it's all of our interest. We don't want you passing some dumbass law that says that we don't even get to know the name of the person that's killing us. Arizona is off the chain. Straight up just walking up on people, just killing people. And you really pass a law like this in the middle of this? That's what you do? in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, in the midst of national outcry, Amnesty International marching, like I said, the Black Lives Matter movement marching, the new abolitionists coming after you. Dozens of organizations coming together and fighting against police brutality, extrajudicial murders. Still not seeing any police being criminally, successfully criminally prosecuted for what they're doing. You get a few indictments here and there, but they get off. And this is what you come up with, and it's a bipartisan slips right through to to the legislature, no questions asked. Yep, this represents our constituents, the corporations, I guess, the police. Who was their constituents? Who wanted this? What handful of citizens set up and said, what we really need is for you to block any way of us knowing who's killing people because that's what people think about all the time they imagine to themselves if I had one thing I wanted the political genie one wish I wanted him to give and I rub the lamp and the political genie comes out and I say you know what genie what I've been wanting is for you to make it so where I don't even have to know who the cop is that just killed my kid I, I really hope that there's some kind of way you can grant my wish, Jeannie, because what people don't need to know is who these people are. We, the last thing we need to know is if they've got other cases that they've been involved in, trumped-up charges, uh, illegal arrests, harassments, abuses, anything like that. We definitely don't need to know that, Jeannie. So if you could just give us that magical law, who asked for that? But that's who the people you voted for just gave you. So now if the governor you just voted for signs it, that's your Arizona law, people. Nothing else to add to that. We'll just move on. <laughs> it's just sad and ridiculous. Who? Uh, I'm not going to do it. Anyway, so moving on to uh, Minnesota and uh, Corizon. I'm going to tell you a story about a gentleman who found himself in a Minnesota penitentiary and he was dealing with. Um, he had pulmonary blood clots. His name was Gerald Hammond. He's 34 years old. And um, his lawsuit, which was filed by a surviving family in U.S. District Court in Minneapolis, alleged that nurses and correctional staff failed to properly respond for days as he complained of severe chest pains. Now, his was the second federal lawsuit in a, in a, within a two-month span um, actually uh, in uh, 2014 
when they when they started finally getting these lawsuits against the state departments of corrections. Um, but here's what the second federal lawsuit in a two-month span against medical and correction staff at the Leno Lakes Correctional Facility. Three nurses and two prison officials were accused of negligence in his death. He died from bilateral, uh, the second case, this guy died from uh, bilateral pneumonia and sepsis. So you got one guy with pulmonary blood clots, you got another guy with pneumonia, and it, uh, infection turned into sepsis and killed him. So these are both preventable, highly likely they are preventable. And uh, these are both cases that were overseen by Corizon. These are just the latest of several suits against Corizon Health Incorporated, which provided medical care under contract to Minnesota prison inmates. So like I keep telling you, this is nation freaking wide. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, Utah, Colorado, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, Washington State. Here we're talking about Minnesota. Every freaking state, man. Seriously. Do we have some law I don't know of where a corporation gets to operate even when it's mass murdering people? Is this something I'm unaware of about law and, and standards and regulations? I mean, at, some, at what point does Corizon get shut down I mean, just for the, the, the good of the general public. Who are they tied into? I don't give a damn about the billions of dollars that they generate for themselves. I'm talking about the people that they're overseeing the deaths of. How many people can just sit up here and die? This is a modern-day Nazi operation or something. You might as well just have a big oven operation and just assembly line, just push the people right on into the into the ovens. Every state... Every state contract, wrongful death lawsuit after lawsuit, 660 plus wrongful death lawsuits. How many people have to die? And so when we get through with this, we're going to go right into the D.C. story of how how Washington, D.C. blocked them for a time from getting a new contract with their jail. So good job out of D.C. if it was a genuine effort to do that or if it was just somebody that was mad they didn't get a big enough piece of the pie, then shame on you. Because when you give in and give it to them, you're just going to get what I'm about to finish telling you about after the break that happened in Minnesota. The same thing that's happened in all the rest of the states. People are dying in the care of Corizon. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. We'll be right back. Brothers and sisters! This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium.
And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, before the break, we were discussing Corizon, the murderous corporation known as Corizon Healthcare, overseers of the the deaths of hundreds of individuals state to state around the country over the recent years. The subject of nearly 700 lawsuits coast to coast. A corporation headed by a, a black man named, what was his name, uh, Woodrow Woody Myers, Dr. Woody Myers, who sits on the, uh, on the board with, uh, Stanford Medical, uh, Stanford, uh, University Hospitals and Clinics. He sits on the board with them. He sits on several boards, uh, corporate boards. Uh, you know, a real big head, blue ribbon type Negro, you know, a regular hero, talented 10th. And he oversees all of this, you know, he's, he's the guy. He, he was once the uh, general medical counsel or head medical whatever in charge for a Ford Motor Company at one time, I believe. Um, he's had many corporate, you know, top dog jobs and uh, he's working for a dog now with this whole thing with Horizon and it just never stops given new news of of uh corruption and disorder death torture i mean it just goes on and on and on so before the break that's what we've been discussing and we're talking about uh two individuals cases one who was named in this particular article uh, Gerald uh Hammond and another gentleman that wasn't named, but uh, he was 32 years old and died from uh, bilateral pneumonia. So they allowed pneumonia to pass into both of his lungs, and he died from toxic infection of his blood. Seems pretty preventable. But he was allowed to die in uh, in Minnesota's Leno Lakes Correctional Facility, who was using Horizon Healthcare as their medical provider under a contract with Minnesota. And as I tell you, day in, day out, Become accustomed to Googling your state's Department of Corrections budget, for one, and then go ahead and Google search for your Department of Corrections health care budget. Whether it's with Corizon or maybe with Wexford or any number of, you know, dozens of smaller companies that take these State Department of Corrections uh, contracts, but these contracts are typically some of the largest contracts that your state is negotiating year in, year out. You've got to take this serious. The Department of Corrections is typically a $500 million budget or somewhere thereabouts. So that's hundreds of millions of your tax dollars. And then look at how it compares to your state's education budget, to your state's mental health care budget, your state's public services, infrastructure, these types of things. Start looking at the budget overall. And even if you don't understand all aspects of it, and we're not asking you to, to try to become some expert in all of these things, but just common sense should be able to kick in. If you look at your state's budget and you see $400 million to the Department of Corrections, and you see $75 million to your Department of Education, and you see $100 million put into the roads and I mean, that should let you know what's the, what's the real deal. And there's no way that they're putting that kind of your uh, investment of your tax dollars into incarceration if they're not getting something out the back end, which is slavery. 
your state penitentiaries, the federal penitentiaries found in your state, the private prisons in your state are making people go to work for slave wages. And they're reaping the benefits. They're reaping the, the profits off of those contracts with corporations. We are supporting the Free Alabama Movement, the Free Mississippi Movement right now in their move against McDonald's Corporation, which they as inmates and as slaves forced to work for McDonald's are telling us about McDonald's being one of their biggest employers behind bars, forcing them to help with the processing of beef patties, bread products, dairy products, production of plastic products to be used in the, in the restaurants, and the creation of the manufacture of the uh, uh, McDonald's employees' uniforms. And as far as we know, this is the material and, and uh, goods and materials that are being shipped around not only America, but possibly around the planet. They do not bring these jobs into your neighborhoods. Your state does not have a, have a McDonald's. Kansas does not have a McDonald's plant where we process the, 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 the plastics that go to McDonald's. That would be a, a decent job to have. That would be uh, 2,000 people that would have a job in the community. Then go to another plant where they create the uniforms. There'd be another two thousand, three, four, five thousand people create the uniforms that go around McDonald's all over the planet and pay those people twelve, fifteen dollars an hour, something reasonable, where they can survive. You cut out welfare, you cut out government assistance, you cut out Medicare, whatever, you, you cut out all these safety nets that you complain about. And you claim this is what's driving the country broke. But no, what's driving the country broke is slavery because it's a few people taking advantage of everybody. So look up Horizon or look up your state's yearly budgets. Look up what how much money is going to Department of Corrections. Look up within the Department of Corrections budget. Look up how much of their money is going to health care. And when we tell you about state to state, people dying of blood clots, people dying of pneumonia, and sepsis, people dying of various uh, diseases that they had before they were snatched up by the slave catchers and need basic medication. They were able to survive when they were on the outside, but then they go inside prison and they die from it. When we tell you about people being beat to death, tortured, starved to death, raped, outright murdered, then you're also on the hook for those settlements because what we're talking about right now with Gerald Hammond and with the other lawsuit that was filed to the man that was unnamed that had the pneumonia these become multi-million dollar settlements against the Department of Corrections. So you're paying again. This is some reason I would imagine why you should care. You can't just take people and say, okay, we're going to take you out of society, but we're not going to be responsible for your life or death while you're in our custody. We just want you away from our society because those checks you wrote were bad and you should go to prison for that. Because that weed you had, that you shouldn't have that weed. That's what we're doing. We're, we're ripping up the community for minor, low-level drug possession charges. And even if a person's selling, okay, so you got a $200 a week freaking weed salesman that needs to go to jail for 10 years? Seriously? Dude sells enough weed to support his own choices to smoke marijuana. And you use a no-knock warrant to kick in his door, shoot his dog, 
beat his family. Hell, in the case of Anna Jones, killed a, killed a daughter. In the case of the little baby, that I think the people were Korean. Uh, the little baby that was in the—I think he was like an eighteen-month-old child or something—was in the in the in the carriage in the in the uh, playpen. No knock warrant kick in, throw a flashbang grenade in there, and it burns his face off. Million dollars worth of medical expenses that police are not going to pay. This is the war on drugs. This is the war we're kicking in, and the drug use has never slowed down. It's not going to slow down. We had a prohibition for alcohol, and the people didn't quit drinking, and never slowed down. It increased. The legend of when the days when we could get drunk just had more and more people wishing they could. Man, I wish I had known. I'll get some. Well, where can I get it? Well, let me sneak and get some too. I want to get boozed. Bootlegging. That's where the term came from. People slipping bottles of liquor in their boots to sneak liquor around when it was illegal. And it destroyed the communities. Yeah, people thought that it was bad before when dad was drunk out in the gutter. So the, the, the movements, the women's movements came out and or bring my husband home and all this kind of stuff. But during that time, there wasn't even any, any municipal water systems. Liquor tax was the tax of America. The liquor tax supported foreign wars. The liquor tax supported the municipals, the municipalities rather. The liquor tax supported the federal government. Because liquor was everywhere. But there wasn't any municipal water systems. So people didn't even have water as an option. Kick in prohibition. Upgrade the federal income tax. Create a municipal water system. People can have water to wash and drink and make some other options available to them instead of feeding baby a beer. And the society changes. But the thing I'm talking about here is that they tried to move towards something that made some more sense. And it, it didn't take them 50 years. It didn't take them expanding the mass incarceration movement at that time from 70,000 people in the whole entire nation, 80,000 people in the entire nation incarcerated, 100,000 people. It didn't take them expanding it to a million, two million, three million people before they said, wait a minute, this prohibition of alcohol thing isn't working. I tend to believe that to a great extent it had to do with the fact that it was white people that was getting caught up in the in the in the laws at the time, going to prison at the time, getting shot and killed by the police at the time, involved in the thuggery and the gang violence on the streets at the time. I tend to believe that. I don't see a whole lot of evidence that, that dissuades my opinion. And when I look at the drug war now, all I see is black folks, Latinos, a handful of Asians. A lot of browns and mixtures of, of non-white colors. And when I look at the stats and it says that 60% of the prison population is black folks in there for non-violent drug offenses, it doesn't take a big leap of my logic to say, hmm, prohibition didn't work when it was alcohol and it was, and it was persecuting the white community. But the drug war works against drugs now because they don't mind destroying the black community. So yeah, I'm on every day on the abolitionist daily banging against this. That's a big reason why I'm here. It just don't, it ain't fair. It don't make no sense. And you ain't getting over on me with this bull. So look it up for yourself and find out because you're on the hook for these lawsuits. Like what I'm about to tell you about with this guy, Gerald Hammond could have been helped, but they didn't want to help him. On the days leading up to his death, Gerald collapsed in his cell from shortness of breath, according to the lawsuit, 
but he was not taken to a hospital for further evaluation of his ongoing symptoms. Instead, doctors continued to give him anti-inflammatory pills and an anti-nausea medication. This is a matter of prison record. Shortly before midnight, records show Hammond hit the distress button in his cell and responding officers found him on the floor in agony. His pleas for medical help were captured on videotape by a corrections officer who was responsible for documenting how officers responded to the scene. The investigator wrote that she reviewed the video and that Hammond was heard saying, I feel like my lung is collapsed. He's then heard asking an officer to call an ambulance, stating, please don't let me die. He was, however, left in his cell. And about an hour later, a passing officer found him on the floor, not breathing and without a pulse. And then about another 20 minutes later or so, an ambulance crew arrived, but they couldn't resuscitate him. And you think this is better than whatever he was doing on the street. See, I'm not saying that even if he was out killing people, you still only matched him in killing people. Do you understand? Does it make sense to you? Does it, does it, does it make sense to you in your head and your way of logic and your way of seeing things and deducing information? If Gerald Hammond was even there for murder, which he wasn't, I'm just exaggerating the point. But if he had killed somebody and you put him in prison to make him pay for killing somebody, you didn't give him the death penalty, so at some point you said you don't want to kill people for killing people. Okay, well you put him in there and then you killed him. So how are you better as an agent of the state? You are not. You are a hypocrite. Now God knows this man was in there for nonviolent. non-abusive, non-abrasive, non-invasive, non-threatening, non-terroristic code enforcement violations. And he got the death penalty for that. So if you call yourself cleaning up the streets from the crime and that's why you're okay with 2.3 million people being in prison, and about 9 million people total being in supervised care, probation, parole, halfway houses, jails, and so forth. 20-plus million people going through the jail system every year. If you're cool with all of this, then I guess it's just no big deal that, you know, we just keep letting people die. We just keep murdering people. Evidently, you're already a person that's cool with with a straight-up state of anarchy. I won't even say anarchy because anarchy does not necessarily mean that there will be chaos. This means that we won't have this system in place that we're following, which is a joke of a system as it is. But evidently, if you support this, you're cool with chaos because that's what's happening. Is it not chaos because it doesn't come up on O'Reilly factor and you don't see Bill O'Reilly do an expose? So it's not chaotic? Is it not chaotic because you don't see Don Lemon clutch his pearls as he tells you about how we murdered this man in prison or the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of others that have been murdered in these prisons? Is, is, is not, it's not chaotic because he's not telling you the story with his weepy eyes and telling you to feel bad about it? What the hell is wrong with people? Do you really need these talking heads to come into your life and 
tell you that something is bad for you to know it's bad? Because see, they went eight, they went crazy over the the Ferguson cop shooting thing. That was constant reporting for me. They all went there. They all showed up on camera. They brought in people they wanted to talk to. They pushed the narrative. They didn't have investigation at first. Now we just found out about Darren Wilson when the DOJ report came out on him. They all jumped to say he was exonerated. Well, he was never actually indicted. So you can't be exonerated for a crime you ain't even ex- indicted on, let alone not convicted of. But anyway, his name was clear. And the big thing everybody was talking about was don't push, don't rush to judgment. You judge that man. You, he had to quit his job because of what you did to him. You tore him apart. Well, he didn't quit his job because the people tore him apart. He was able to quit being a cop because he made a couple million dollars off of donations and making a big fee from the ABC for doing an exclusive interview. So if I had a couple million dollars, whether I kill somebody or not, hell, I quit. You might not see me in the abolitionist movement no more. If I had a couple million dollars, I might just peace out on y'all. Especially if you're not about to fight for your freedoms. I might as well set up myself in in some kind of Rambo encampment put up some towers and some guns on the wall and just get ready for it to fall apart if you're not going to fight for your liberation and you're cool with the police state continuing to encroach upon our freedoms and continuing to just kill us in the street snatch us and kidnap us and throw us on the plantation and make us work slave work and kill us off if I had a couple million bucks I mean I'd give Scotty Reed something for the Black Talk Radio Network and make sure they was cool and you know I might take a few days off from abolitionist daily I'm just being honest because this is crazy to keep seeing this every day and keep talking about this every day and I get all this resistance from the naysayers I know there's some of you that support and I appreciate that I mean you know it's really you you would be shocked to know how much it does to make me keep coming back just when I feel low when I feel like man this is I can't do this I'm not hardly sleeping this is messing up my dreams my subconscious is being poisoned by the evil that's permeating our society. I can see it so clearly. And sometimes I do think about it. I have second thoughts. And then I go online and I see our, our uh, website will have comments or I'll get an email from somebody, a comment on one of the pages, a person will say something, and it'll completely cleanse my palate. It'll totally clean me up, straighten me up. I'm like, you know what? You're damn right. Thank you. And we go on in. But we saw Darren Wilson get all this love because everybody treated him so bad because they rushed to judgment. But as soon as these cops are supposedly shot and then get out before lunchtime the same day, they rushed to judgment to go report on it again. We just haven't heard anything else. They got one person supposedly they called on a tips hotline tip that nobody even knows who he is in the neighborhoods that he claims he lives in. We haven't heard anything else. His lawyer said that he never admitted to this. He never said it. So the whole thing is nothing, but they used it to get your attention off of the protesting. They used it to take the attention away from the the police chief finally resigning and the other people that have fallen off the the, the ranks as a result of the DOJ report that came out. But all we hear is don't rush to judgment, and that's what they're going to rush to do. So now we're looking at situations where you don't even know it even happened. So would you like to rush to judgment about Gerald Hammond? How about we rush to judgment on Darren Rainey? Bradley Brown. How about we just keep rushing to judgment on DeAndres Woods? Latasha Washington. Jerome Murto. Can we rush to judgment on these cases? Because they're dead. 
and the only other people that was around where they was at where they died was the jailers that looked in the cell and said, oh, he looks fine, and the person been dead for a day. Denied medical care. Can we rush to judgment on 660 plus lawsuits filed against corruption? Can we rush? Is it a rush to judge that they need to be put out of business? It should be banned globally. International ban on operations. Straight up. I mean, what is it going to hurt? Seriously? Whatever difference that they're making in the budgets, that they're proposing that they can save your state some money because they can come in and do the same job the state agencies used to do for less. They can cut out state jobs. That's all they're doing. With privatization, is just cutting out state jobs. And at some point, you looked at your, at your state's budget, and some politician ran on this platform and said, I'm going to save money from the budget. So let's just say hypothetically here in Kansas, back in 1997, we had a state budget of $2.3 billion, and 400 million of that was for the prisons. And in our $400 million prison package, we gave $75 million to a private health care company because the state agencies that had been doing the health care in the prisons was costing us about $86 million a year. So look how I just saved you that $10 million. Well, guess what, dumbass? That $10 million savings just went right out the window with five lawsuits of wrongful deaths. So, oops. Not to mention that people are dead if you don't care about that. These people weren't given death sentences. These people had a home date. These people had a day they was going to be released. It's according to what you're supposed to be doing, rehabilitated. Reinstated into the community. A, a better person, a penitent person. A person that has looked at what they did and they're not going to do that now. Now they want to be productive. Come out here, get a job, move back with their families and help to build their communities. That's what this whole thing is supposed to be, right? Unless it's something else. Tell me if that's not what we're doing. If that ain't what we're doing, then you know I can stop today. There's no point in even arguing about it. If what you're saying, what you want, is no rehabilitation, we just throw people away. If they die, they die. We don't give a damn. If whatever happens, we don't care. But if we really are upholding some system that we claim is supposed to be rehabilitating, helping people, and in the cases where you got all these mentally ill people, offering them some kind of care, so whatever savings you think you're getting from going with private businesses to come in and take over these operations, you're losing it in the lawsuits. You're losing it in the humanity as people are dying in custody. What is that worth to you? Yeah, if this guy's settlement was a million dollars or something. Okay, great. But what is it really worth? See, it's not about what you can get in the court because you killed him. It's not about that. It's what was he actually worth, though? What am I worth as an individual? I'm talking about my life from a little kid. In the next 40, 50 years, if I might live that long in a, in a free nation. What am I worth? I'm not, I'm not asking you if I die, what do you think they should give me? What should they give my family so they can move on and don't blow up the whole damn state for killing me? Because that's really what they're doing when they give people these little these little tokens. It's hush money. It's calm down money. They figure most people are so stupid that instead of going out and buying a damn rocket and blow everything up, what they're going to do is go buy a car, a couple cars, buy some clothes, take a couple trips, 
get a bigger house to pay rent on and never own that or the land. That's what people are going to do with a million dollars. When you're dead, when they let you sit up and die in your jail cell with blood clots, and you beg for your life, and then they give your family a million dollars, that's what your family's going to go do. Go buy some stuff. Consume some materials to feel better. And that's why they give it to you. It's not because that's what you're worth. To me, Gerald Hammond is worth more than a million dollars. Gerald Hammond, to me, is worth abolishing the system that murdered him. I want you to tear it down if they kill me. That's what I'm about. Why would you let them keep going and they just got away with murdering me? What the hell do you need with some worthless fiat dollars? For what? You're still a slave. You're still in the same system. Hell, they get a kick out of coming after you because they gave you the money. Now they're watching you, investigating you. What'd you do? They would love to bust you for something. Get some of that money back and make a joke out of you. Make me look like I deserve to die because my descendants got caught up in crime. This is the, this is what we live in. Have you been paying attention? So they killed this guy. Corizon gets sued. Corizon lost the contract with Minnesota. Centurion Managed Care took over in a two-year contract for $67 million. So like I told you, these are big contracts. They just took over for Corizon, so now they're in a $67 million contract. And like I told you, Washington, D.C. is debating a $66 million contract right now. Minnesota Department of Corrections tentatively agreed to pay $375,000 to a wrongful death case of an inmate whose pleas for emergency care were repeatedly ignored by officers. We just talked about Gerald Hammond. So the DOC just had to give up $375,000. In a separate settlement, Corizon Healthcare agreed to pay an undisclosed amount to the family of the late inmate, Gerald Hammond. So they don't even tell you what they gave. Um, but where are they getting it from? If their business is doing contracts with the state, how is it even possible that they can disclose two separate accounts that they draw from? It's still the taxpayer's money. The State Department of Corrections is funded by the taxpayers. Am I wrong? Is it, did, am I missing something? Is that some individual that's paying the big hundreds of millions of dollars of contract to run the prisons? Or is that you and me? So when Corizon has to pay out an undisclosed amount to the same lawsuit, and they were in a $70 million contract with the state themselves, where do you think they got the money from? The state? The state got it from who? The taxpayers? So you're on the hook two times over. You paid all those lawyers. You paid all those court costs. You paid all those fees. You're paying the settlement, but you don't want to abolish the system, though, because the system works, right? It's the best system we have. This is the best system on the planet. Hell. So, with this latest settlement, the department has now paid nearly $1.5 million since 2011 to settle medical maltreatment lawsuits filed on behalf of inmates who died or suffered critical injuries due to improper health care while in custody. So the savings that you thought you had has already been evaporated. Prison records show the medical staff knew of Hammond's worsening breathing condition in the two weeks before his death. Like we just told you, this is another take where they're going to tell a little bit more. They're going to tell you a little bit more truth about what happened. So that's the thing. Even the news, 
they parcel out a little bit. So I look for three or four or five different resources on the same story because all of them are going to tell you a little bit different something and you learn a little bit different uh, information. On this one, they talk about uh, the Tylenol. See, before they just said he was given anti-inflammatory um, for the uh, talking about his heart pain or whatever. It says now on this story, they say that the days before he died, he was prescribed two or three tablets of Tylenol a day and an antibiotic for a urinary tract infection. Two days before he died, he was found passed out and he was placed in segregation units. So see now, see, now they come back and tell you they put him, put him in solitary. They're punishing him. He couldn't go out and do the slave work. He couldn't report for duty. See, the thing they sell to the corporations is they say, do you, are you tired of, uh, employees with, with, uh, problems getting to work? Are you tired of dealing with people calling in sick and taking medical leave? We've got a solution. Prison slave industries. And they show the commercial and show you the graphics and they show the people happy and smiling at the call center with the number on their chest. And corporations come running. 37 states we reported on last year have legislation in place that actively courts and invites these corporations to come take advantage of the slave labor made legal by the 13th Amendment. See, Gerald Hammond couldn't pay his way. He was sick. He couldn't. That's why you keep seeing these sick people die. You understand that, don't you? I said we was done before the, after the last break, but I kept going. We got to take another break. We'll come back. I promise we'll move on, move forward in this. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network discussing um, all things pertaining to modern-day slavery and human trafficking, human sufferation, plantation murders, Slave catcher killings, the whole nine yards, man. Is this 1632? Is this 1825? Is this 2015? I don't know where I'm at. What the hell year is this? They told me about, uh, the gulags or whatever in, in, uh, Soviet, you know, whatever. That was growing up. They used to talk about they send you to Siberia or something. They told me about North Korea's prisons. They told me about, you know, all these places we've liberated that treated their people so bad. When is the liberation force coming for us? Oh, yeah, we are the liberation force, aren't we? Hmm. Spread the word. So we were just uh, wrapping up this story about um, inmate murder, deaths in custody in Minnesota. Another place on the map where people probably don't even associate. I mean, you know, I think people kind of are a little bit numb to the slave states killing off uh, people in custody, especially Negroes. And that's pretty much all we end up reporting on. I mean, there's, you know, there's some. And we talked about with the probation, uh, the uh, private probation enforcement, the debtor's prison aspect of it. There's a whole lot of white people caught up in that. 
Um, so, you know, I try not to make it a race-based issues or whatever, but, I mean, I just got to report the facts and the actual people, and I'm sure as hell going to tell you about people to get killed. So, I mean, if you got to call it playing a race card when folks are dead, then, you know, you you don't have any integrity as a human being anyway. I don't even really care about your opinion. If you don't have respect for, for human life, regardless of the color of their skin, it's not my fault it's black folks dying. It's not my fault it's Mexicans getting, or not even Mexicans, people from south of the border, all of the countries along Mexico and south, getting caught up in this in this border crisis manufactured by private prisons. When we talk about these things and they have a racial tone to them, it's not anybody's fault. Don't blame the victims. When we're talking about McDonald's hiring in the prisons and not creating jobs in the community, when we're talking about AT&T hiring in the prisons and not creating jobs in the community, it's not the people's fault. They can't force AT&T to set up a call center to take 5,000 jobs to a community where people don't even have jobs. But somehow drugs keep flowing in. Hmm, I wonder. None of these people have boats. Hmm. None of these people have airplanes. No, no. But we have caught 90 tons of freaking coke on sitting members of Congress's ships that they own. Mitch McConnell. Well, nothing. We don't need to talk about that. Move on. Another story. So, yeah, when people are caught in these inner city situations and in these fleeing from their countries that are being terrorized situations and coming here crossing the border, no, I'm not playing the race car. These people don't have options. And even when we talk about the the, the uh, probation situation all throughout the South in 15 states, but definitely in the South, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, raping these people. You pay me $100, 50 of it's going to the probation company. 50 is going towards your fine. And over the next seven years, you might pay it off. It's a, it's a freaking state or municipal sanctioned payday loan scheme. And people losing their entire lives and going to jail. Dude went to jail for a $2 can of beer and spent the last five, six, seven years of his life. He was given blood, donating plasma to try to pay his fines. And he couldn't even eat. So he couldn't keep donating plasma because he couldn't produce. It's a white guy. So I tell about everybody. It's not race-based. It's poor people and it's people of color-based. It's people who are powerless-based. So how long do you think you're going to be able to continue to oppress these people and they don't rise the hell up is beyond me. It's a shock to me that they think they can keep doing this and people are not going to flip out. I mean, what other option do they have? They don't have anything to promise their children if they can even have children. You realize people don't even want to get married nowadays. For what? How can they do how? There was a news report not too long ago that said this was one of the first years, I think 2014 was like the first year, that the mortality rate exceeded the birth rate for the white community. So white folks are not even making babies at the rate that white folks are dying. People need some kind of hope. But when they see the encroaching police state, when they see the incarceration nation, when they see the slave state, they go do other stuff. They try other lifestyles. They just want to live happy while they're here. And just, you know what? I don't have any answers. So I'm just going to just live till I die. That's not a reality. That's not a world you really want to say you lived in on your watch. Come on. We can all do better than that. So to wrap up the Corizon situation, we look at Washington, D.C. again, which is uh, really what brought my attention to this story we ended up telling first. 
about Corizon in Minnesota because I was actually looking at this uh, story, this update on D.C. It says the clock is ticking on a controversial proposal to turn over the health care for the thousands of inmates in Washington, D.C.'s two jails to the for-profit corporation Corizon. And the company is using a political insider to push for approval of the new contract. Though not officially listed on Corizon's lobbyist disclosure forms, D.C. council members confirmed that businessman Max Brown has been calling, texting, and visiting them urging them to vote for a plan to get rid of the local nonprofit that has served D.C. jail since 2006. Brown did not respond to multiple requests for an interview. He is widely known as one of the new D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser's biggest fundraisers and closest confidants. So like I said, this could very well be a situation where somebody just mad they didn't get a big enough piece of the pie. You know, they went with Bowser and they were a part of the crew and they thought this thing was going to go through and they were going to be number two in command or they thought they was going to have this section or that section of the power or they thought they were going to get this kind of money or whatever people sell their souls for. This dumbass might have sold their soul for a damn fur coat. Who knows? I mean, seriously, who knows what this person may have thought they were getting that we find out about it and it's trivial. It's absolutely nothing. But it's a $66 million contract with the city of Washington, D.C. to cover their jails for the health care. And we already know about Corizon. I've already told you, so I'm not even going to go back into how deadly they are. So you basically sold these people into a situation where you have an expectation, very reasonable expectation, that the number of deaths in your custody is about to go through the freaking roof. You have no expectation of any type of a, of a better care, of a reform, of a better system, a more efficient system. None. See, that's the thing about business. I'm in business, been in business. I can't go into meetings with decision makers with a handshake and a smile and just promise them to have a lower cost. Even if I promise a lower cost, they're going to want very specific details of how I'm lowering that cost because obviously they've been taking bids and obviously they know what the cost should be. So here you come, just, uh, hey, buddy. Yep, I can save you on the bottom line. How? Oh, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure we don't have any staff. I'm going to make sure we don't dispense of any medications. I'm going to make sure nobody goes to the hospital even when they're dying. And I'm going to make sure you get caught up in several lawsuits for wrongful deaths. How's that sound? Hmm. Compelling. Where do we sign? ridiculous. So this guy is a, is a lobbyist for Corrections Corporation of America, registered. Says according to the D.C. Office of Campaign Finance, he personally donated the maximum amount possible to Bowser's campaign fund and co-hosted soirees that brought in as, as much of the cash that helped her win the election last year. He's also a registered lobbyist for the Corrections Corporation of America. According to D.C. law, a lobbyist shall file a separate registration form for each person from whom he or she receives compensation for lobbying. But because D.C. lobbyists are only required to disclose their activities twice a year, and they have to make $250 in three months to be forced to disclose, it's possible for someone like Brown to have a major influence that the public only learns about long after a vote occurs. Sneaky snake. Lying bastard. I'm not going to mix words with you. 
What else would you call somebody that does that? You work for CCA. You know you lobby, and you know you're on the stump for Corizon. Hell, they work hand in hand. I told you about the Correctional Vendors Association, members of the association, so they lobby for their own interests. Plus, they join another force, and then they put their money in with that, so they come with even more power. See, CCA may only be able to bring a million dollars to the table, let's say. We know they brought $45 million to the table over the last 10, 12 years to both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. We've shown you that, the proof of that. CCA and Geo Group together put $45 million together to lobby our Congress, and they've been quite successful in their efforts. But then they both join individually. They join the Correctional Vendors Association, who's an entirely separate entity, a conglomeration of people that make money off of being vendors, stealing the money from your state budgets, stealing money from the federal government, to sign up these defrauding these contracts upon which they defraud immediately, not providing any of the services that they said they would, not providing any type of quality goods that they said they would, taking the money and running. So this guy's double dipping and he won't even tell you who he works for because he doesn't have to by law. He could get away with it possibly if he just stretches it. So now I guess he is pushing to make him hurry up and do it because if in the next couple of months if he has to disclose 250 bucks or if he has to disclose because it's twice a year and he has to tell it by law then it'll come out that he's also stumping for Corizon and he's the new mayor's best freaking friend how's that gonna look but you see how sneaky it is if he could push it before he has to disclose it he just was the biggest contributor to the new mayor Tell me slavery is not real in America right now. Tell me slavery is not controlling politics in America right now. Washington, D.C. just voted for a mayor whose largest campaign contributor, obviously if campaign contributions weren't affecting uh, votes, people wouldn't do it. But it's clear that if you've got more money, you can buy more votes. You can sway more influence. He's the largest contributor to her campaign. She just won. She's the freaking new mayor. And he is a lobbyist for CCA. And he is a lobbyist for Corizon. And he's lying about it as long as he can, hoping they've signed the contract so he don't have to come out and tell you who he really works for. And this is the capital city of our nation. And you want to tell me slavery ain't real? Two of the biggest slavery profiters in corporate America just influenced the mayor's race in Washington, D.C., but I guess you'd have to know this kind of thing to have an informed opinion. I guess as long as you're completely ignorant of any of these type of facts, you can walk around with your chest out and tell everybody that that's crazy, this slavery. Oh, my God. Come on, man. It's freaking ridiculous sometimes. Some of the stuff that we even looked, I mean, this didn't take much. A Google alert gave me this information. Set up your emails with Google alerts, and you can have your own abolitionist daily every day. I got four or five hundred emails in my inbox now. I can't even empty all of this stuff out. Set up a Google alert for private prisons. Set up a Google alert for Corizon Healthcare. Set up a Google alert for Wexford Healthcare. Set up a Google alert for mass incarceration, for, for, for prison profiting. 
you know, just basic stuff we talk about on, on this program. Just set up some Google alerts for it, and you'll be shocked. You'll you wake up tomorrow, and your inbox will have over 100 emails in it, I guarantee you, the first day. And just start spending some time clicking on these stories and start learning and teach other people how to do this. So we have an informed electorate. We have an informed constituency. We have an informed society of people who don't just happenstance come by a program like this and hear something they didn't know and it takes them a whole nother five years to freaking finally, you know, I heard that, but I just, I just couldn't believe it when I heard it. I just didn't know what I could do. So I just, I just went to my job and just ignored it for another day because I, I basically, I could. And another thousand people die in custody. In another 12 states sign $100 million contracts with this company and they kill more people. And these private prisons go back to our federal government and get another $3.7 billion to create another border crisis. And we upped the number from 34,000 a day mandatory detained to, oh, well, uh, there's more people coming across, so we gotta, we gotta up that number. That's an old number. We need to take that up to like 75,000 people a day minimum mandatory detained. And while you're at doing that, go ahead and give us another five billion so we can build some more prisons. Because we got corporations on the line that really want this slave labor, and we're having a hard time covering up where we're coming up with all these workers. I mean, we don't have enough workers to sustain the demand for, for, for slave labor. Don't you see that's what's driving the machine? There's no corporations that are out here with, a, with an interest in, sustain, in uh, adhering to or, or speaking to the need for labor in the public sector. You don't hear about these companies opening factories because they're trying to meet the needs of the people. We found out today in, in the suburbs of Indianapolis, there's 100,000 unemployed people. And we're going to go build our factory, and we're going to start working on getting some people back to work. When's the last time you heard that? We're in Kansas City today. We're we're looking at breaking ground on a new factory where we're going to hire 10,000 people because we realize that the people in this town are largely unemployed. And the state workforce commission ain't doing nothing. They're giving out about five jobs a month, but, you know, people are just coming here and filling out the forms and trying to get work, and they just can't get hired. They just don't have jobs for them. So we're going to do our corporate responsibility. We're going to build a new factory and hire 5,000 people. I haven't heard that. But what's happening is there's a corporate demand for slave labor. So there's a demand from private corporations to lobby our, our lawmakers to create disasters and situations like border crises where we can justify detaining more and more people and put more and more federal laws and regulations on the books every year, up around 5,000 federal laws now, over 300,000 federal regulations now, to ratchet up the pressure in towns like Ferguson, Ferguson, America, where you have a budget that goes from $1 million in 2010 to over $3 million in 2014, all of it generated from traffic tickets and municipal violations like jaywalking and grass being too tall, and get more and more money and get more and more people and put them in private probation systems where they got to pay their fines through these people who take half of the money they pay and put it towards their 
personal fees and people stay in a constant state of debt and then you could throw them in prison and once they're in prison we finally delivered an employee for you sir we delivered on our part of the deal people I'm not making this up this is as simple as ABC in Washington D.C. right now is playing the game their new mayor her top party contributor is a lobbyist for two of the biggest prison slavery firms in the country therefore on the planet And he's going around right now begging the city council to pass this. Lobbyists come like they're doing now with this guy, Max Brown, trying to get us to vote on this. It's a problem. We have conflicts in the council. We're only 13 people, so it's easy to get one member to do what you want them to do and have a big impact. I tell lobbyists all the time that meeting with me is a waste of money. But does that mean they're not knocking down my door anyway? They are. I'm very frustrated by it. I want to tell them you're slime balls, but I can't. David Grosso, an at-large member. It says this is a perfect illustration of how the city's contracting process gives every opportunity for unethical behavior. Grosso noted that Brown and other lobbyists also send him text messages, which are not under the transparency laws that cover his emails. Slipping through the freaking cracks to keep slavery going. The office of, of council member, uh, member Mary Shea said Brown visited her with Corizon executives in tow on March 11th. The office of council member Jack Evans said Brown requested a meeting on the Corizon contract, but he declined. As the largest provider of health care, prison health care in the nation, Corizon has contracts with jails in 27 states, caring for more than 300,000 inmates around the country. They have also come under scrutiny multiple times for how they acquire those contracts with several accusations of conflicts of interest. In Alabama, where the company fought a lawsuit for unconstitutionally neglecting and abusing prisoners, both the head of Alabama Department of Corrections and her husband were found to have financial ties to Corizon and its subcontractors. This led some state lawmakers to question the fairness of the process that awarded Corizon a more than $200 million contract in 2012. The contract was extended in February. The state and the prisoners' lawyers have agreed to set up a monitoring system for future human rights abuses. In Philadelphia, Corizon had to pay a nearly $2 million settlement after it came to light that they set up a fake woman-owned subcontractor in order to meet the city's requirements for diversity and hiring. The company also gave money to Mayor Michael Nutter's campaign, another blue-ribbon Negro, who set up his own probation companies to set up his own we're going hard after the people that owe the city money they put this negro in office all these black folks voted for this fool the first thing he did was say we coming to get everybody that owed the court anything if you ever had a ticket you ever had a fine oh we coming to get the money and filled up his jails with poor people and people of color that was his thanks to his constituents and this fool is in the pocket of the damn oh you you need to know what's going on with these people because they are some crooks, criminals, horrible. He had ties to a lobbyist firm with close ties to the city. Mayor Nutter subsequently went around the city council to renew the Corizon contract. He didn't even go through the city council. By Corizon's own count, it was sued at least 1,364 times from 2009 to 2014 alone. 
More than 400 of those lawsuits remain unresolved. As D.C.'s local government has had decades-long reputation for corruption and cronyism, Grosso said he's concerned with the impression that the latest bidding war is giving to the public. I'm not saying that Muriel Browser is pushing the Corizon contract because of the fundraising and donations, because I don't know if that's the case, but it certainly smells bad, he said. In meetings with Corizon last year, Grosso said he challenged the company's executives on why they wanted the contract in the first place considering jail is a relatively small one whose prisoners have fairly severe health needs. According to the council member, the CEO responded that D.C. would be the perfect place to show off their services to members of Congress, which would help them secure more federal prison contracts. Damn it! I'm about to be done with this show. Seriously. You might not get two hours a day, because I got so much I want to just say, but I promised I wasn't going to say it. I made a promise to myself. And even if I have to remind you that I made the promise to help me keep from breaking it, I'm not going to break it. But some some big old multi-syllable words started to come out of my mouth reading this. These people don't care if you see them coming. They don't care if you know. They double-dog daring you that you can't do nothing to stop them. What is a bully if not this? I hate a bully. I had people that actually called themselves having beef with me from time to time in school. I was a kid like everybody else. I went to school. We moved around a little bit when I was younger, so I was a new kid in a new place, that kind of thing. And I had some little times I had to prove myself or whatever. But those, those kind of fights never really bothered me. Somebody maybe wants to get a little cred for taking on the new kid. I was always a fairly good-sized kid. I was probably about 6'2 by the time I got to ninth, 10th grade, so I was good height and weight so I look like somebody maybe well this is a new kid well if I pick with him and I beat him up then I'll get so we have to get into those kind of little things and it didn't really bother me because I could kind of understand but something I never understood and would make me go off for real is a damn bully who the hell do you think you are I'll get all the way out of character about a bully picking on people sneaking Talking tough, threatening people. What do you think these people are doing? They're telling you right in your face. Yes, we want to get this contract in D.C. because we're about to go to your Congress and tear this whole country apart. We don't give a damn. We got 15. I was saying 660. I was completely wrong. I stand corrected by their own admission. They got 1,364 lawsuits against them just from 2009 to 2014. People, are you even paying attention? These damn fools can't do work without getting sued. And these are not little, give me $100 and I'll go away lawsuits. These are $100 million lawsuits. Millions and millions and millions of dollars coming out of your pocket. Because any money they get, they got from you. Because they got a contract with your state. <laughs> and that's what Grosso said, the same thing I'm saying. He says, nothing offends me more than that. You're just going to use my people as a little sideshow for your business? That's not what I wanted to hear. Corizon has publicly stated that their interest in the D.C. contract is to genuinely care for people by taking the time that's required to keep them healthy and or move them towards better health. Wow. Wow.
I, I don't know, y'all. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to make you fight. I really don't know what's going to make you fight. I, I just don't know. I'm going to move on. Unexplainable Black Death Profile. We're not going to get everything covered. Once again, I'm leaving out the... I'm just leaving out the... I, I don't know. I'll just put the links up to some of these studies, and you can look at them on the website, on the pages, or whatever. The links are already in the, in the promo, so... You can find the studies and read them at your own. I'll keep getting facts from them and share them with you as time passes, but I just don't know if we're going to have time to really get into that. Those things are so detailed and so much information. I'm getting so caught up in telling you these stories that, you know, two hours is flying by. Oh. March 2010, Los this is our unexplainable black death profile, uh, Stephen Eugene Washington. March 2010, Los Angeles police murdered unarmed Stephen Eugene Washington. Um... And the reason that I'm on this story is also because now there is a uh, lawsuit that the cops that shot him have successfully uh, won for themselves over $3 million in settlements. One cop got two, $2 million for one, and then the other one got $1.9 million. The two that shot him killed him, autistic, unarmed man. Um, he was shot in the face. It was one of the worst shootings we've seen uh, said uh, Stephen Dunn, who's one of the attorneys. They took the life of an unarmed autistic man for no reason whatsoever. He said that um, he was walking down the street around midnight in Koreatown of L.A., and uh, the officers had pulled up behind him. He didn't respond to commands. As they uh, approached him from behind, he turned around, and one of the officers believed that he reached for his waist, waist belt, and he shot him right in the face. The other officer fired as well. And he missed, but they were both named, and they were both indicted, and they were both uh, taken to court over these over these issues and found not guilty. It was a justified shooting, completely sick situation. So rest in peace, Brother Washington. I'm going to put these links up, too, because the stories of how these cops got away with getting these settlements is something that I don't, I don't, I don't have the time, and I don't have the... Uh, I don't have it in me to take much more frustration about the BS that's going on in our society as everybody is in denial of slavery everybody's if people accepted slavery was real and if people accepted what we're saying is a problem then i would feel a little bit different but it's because it's like a double fight number one people don't believe this they're fighting against this the cognitive dissonance is taking over the country people are flat out in denial of, of the truth you got a huge section of people that just want to have a job, just want to have a car, just want to be left alone to eat their damn bonbons and watch their stupid-ass TV show and go to church on Sunday and just act like nothing is really bothering them. Watch NFL Sunday or go play golf on Sunday or go fishing on Sunday and just get a day to get a break. And none of this is even their concern. So I got that going on. I'm a little frustrated because it's like, wow, you just don't see it, do you? What do you think was going on with your ancestors if you black or a descendant of slaves, all the other people that claim they were slaves too, if you're Irish or something, I guess. What do you think was happening for those people? And you say you care about that? You have the nerve to shed a tear about the genocide of the, of the indigenous, of the Indians? Oh man, it's so sad what happened in the Trail of Tears and the... Fool, you living in it right now! So we got that on one side, and then we got the fact that they're doing what they're doing, un unabashed, unapproached, unmolested, getting away with murder, getting away with stealing our money. So that's the frustration you hear. I'm going to work on it. Program's over for today. I'm going to work on my frustration. I'm going to do some 
do some working out, do some breathing, some meditation, some woosah, get some sunshine and calm down. I'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Abolitionist Daily. I appreciate you listening. Don't take me too serious. I'm not crazy. I'll be back tomorrow. Peace to the Abolitionist. Death be oppressive. The, the, the rhythm.